Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. That's why it's so beautiful that there is a verse 12 in John 1 that goes with verse 11. That's a very important statement. Verse 12 comes after verse 11. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) No, verse 11 says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But thank God for the next word. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. See, that varied response, you know, no, but that's what Israel Restoration Ministries counts on. This varied response is what gives Israel restoration hope and encouragement. See, the varied response works like this. Outwardly, all in the family appeared to reject Joseph's message. Outwardly. Even the father says he rebuked him. Says, you know, what are these dreams? But inwardly, where no one could see, because it was inward, a very small remnant of just one person in this particular account. Very small remnant, Joseph's father, who represents the remnant in Israel, he kind of considers what Joseph said. Outwardly, Joseph's father appeared to be just as rejecting of Joseph's message as the rest of the family. But inwardly, Joseph's father observed, he held on to, he deeply considered Joseph's message. You know, from the, from the Los Angeles Saturday outreaches and the summer blitzes, You know, each year, Israel Restoration knocks on over a million Jewish doors per year. Now, think about that. Over a million Jewish doors per year. And virtually every Jewish person that is encountered in those outreaches rejects the message that Jesus is God and the Messiah, no. And that's really like all the family of Joseph that rejected Joseph's message, But you know what's encouraging? What's encouraging is to know that there is a very small remnant like Joseph's father, who though outwardly appeared to be just as rejecting as the rest. They've joined the rest. But inwardly, they're holding on to, they're considering the message, hmm, Jesus is God and Messiah. But you can't tell. You can't tell. So we work by faith looking beyond the outward appearance of the total rejection of the Jewish people, knowing that there are some of the Jewish people, like Joseph's father, who inwardly will hold on to the message and deeply consider that Jesus is God, Jesus is Messiah. Now, Joseph was special because he loved those who hated him. He loved those who hated him. When he's, and it's very important when he said these words, I seek my brethren. You know, Joseph was special because even though his brothers, if 
effectively disowned him, he still called them his brethren. And that's true of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in spite of what they did to him, they, he never cast off his Jewish people. He never did. And again, that's the message of Romans 11, verse 1. Romans 11, verse 1. Hath, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Good question. Hath God cast away his people? Answer, God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. So that made Joseph special. Joseph was also special in the sense because with the dream, God didn't warn him. <laughs> he could have. He says, now listen, Joseph, you know, we all have bad dreams, right? We all have bad dreams. I had a bad dream last night. I had a dream that my, uh, that my car stopped in the, my Volvo stopped in the middle of the road and I left it there. When I came back, it wasn't there because it had been hit several times. It was smashed over on the side of the road, you know? That was a t- bad dream, you know? <laughs> anyway, but, but Joseph was special because God didn't give him any warnings like that. It, nothing about a pit, nothing about, you know, Egypt, nothing about a prison, no, 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 no. And so God just kind of let him walk right into the trap, you know? And, and in the same way, you know, God the Father did not stop the Lord Jesus from walking into the trap. Of course, he knew it was there. And he, he talked about that, he says, you know, in, in Matthew 26, 53, he said, thinkest thou, thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Well, God was not gonna send those angels unless he asked for them, you know? But in Matthew eleven twenty five, Matthew eleven twenty five, the Lord said at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, revealed them to babes. Even so, for it seemed good in thy sight. See, that's why he didn't reveal it to Joseph, because it seemed good in his sight to not. Okay, now, we saw last week when Joseph was lost, trying to find his brothers, how God sent a certain man to guide him. Wow, where did that man come from? I don't know. He came from some, he came from God. He came from someplace, you know. But they, all of a sudden, this certain man appears out of nowhere to guide Joseph. When I see that certain man in verse 15, you know, it appears out of nowhere. I just can't help but remember what happened in November 1982 when Cheryl and I and, and our two sons, David and Joseph, making the grand business trip you know, in Europe. I said, you want to come to Europe? Of course, I didn't tell him we're going to go to a customer every year. That doesn't matter. Anyway, so there we arrived in Milan, in Milan Airport at 9 p.m. And like I said, November. Now, I'll tell you something about that part of Italy, the northern part, especially Milan in uh, November. It is plagued with fog. It is terrible. The way Milan sits, it just seems to collect all the fog in the world. And it's just awful. And so we arrived, and it's totally, totally socked in with fog. And so me, in my infinite wisdom, decided to save money, and I rented the smallest car that they had. I think it was a tiny Ford Escort, you know, and it was really small. And, we were, and of course, we, had all, we were the eight-week trip, so we had all this luggage and everything. We're all jam-packed into this car, you know, and, and, and there was luggage in the back seat, and the two boys, and Cheryl and I, and we could see nothing. I mean, nothing. I mean, there were, I couldn't see any signs. You know how I was driving? I was looking at the white line. <laughs> I was just following the white line. Somehow it's going to take us to the hotel. Totally lost. Totally lost. When all of a sudden, it was like, you know, that Disneyland ride where you turn, you'd come to the thing, and all of a sudden the thing appears. You know? All of a sudden, you know, there, the headlights shine on this poor, distressed old lady 
standing on the side of the road, motioning us to stop and help her. <laughs> Look at that. And Cheryl says, stop and help her. <laughs> I thought, stop and help her. We need help. But I stopped. And so uh, she wanted to get in the car. So, okay. Joseph sat over on David's lap, you know, and she squeezed into the back seat. And this was not a small Italian lady. <laughs> This is like the Italian grandma that tasted a lot of that pasta she made, you know? Anyway, and so she needed to get to downtown Milan. And I thought, great. You know, here we are lost and trying to get to Milano Dui, the hotel on the west side of Milan. And now we've taken on this problem of trying to take this lady to downtown Milan. And so we drove for a little while. And then it was amazing. We found that this bus was in front of us, and it says on the head, Milan, you know? And so, wow, we were able to get her in the bus. Okay, well then, so now what? Here we are, you know? I was so discouraged that I stopped the car, and I got out of the car, and I was looking at this sign, this sign, and, and you know, and it was kind of like I was looking at hieroglyphics, you know? I didn't know what I was looking at. And I was sitting there completely bewildered, not knowing where to go. And at that time, a certain man drove up and stopped and got out of his car. He spoke English. He gave us perfect directions to our hotel, which actually we weren't very far from, you know, but I never would have known. So verse 15 happened to me. Looking at that sign, I was like Joseph wandering in the field, and a certain man found me and asked me, what seeketh thou? Only he didn't say it in the kind of King James English. Anyway, but in verse 15, Joseph was lost in the field, and he was found by a certain man who asked him, what seekest thou? And it's Joseph's response that also makes Joseph so special. When Joseph replied in verse 16, and he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. First, Joseph says, I seek my brethren. Now, how do you think Joseph said that? You know, do you think he said something like, ah, I'm looking for my brothers, you know. know, I'm looking for those rotten brothers of mine, you know, they hate me. You know, think like that? Or, or do you think he just said, I'm looking for my brothers. You know, I'm so excited to see my brothers. I love my brothers. Do you know, tell me where they are. See, when Joseph said, I seek my brethren, there was a happiness in his voice because Joseph loved his brothers. You know, Joseph, there was an excitement in his voice because Joseph wanted, he wanted so much to see his brothers again. See, most important, there was a wholehearted embracing in his voice, where Joseph was happy to call them his brothers. You know, he didn't say, well, have you seen some, you know, kind of rough characters, you know, feed and flow, you know. <laughs> See, there was another message in Joseph's voice when Joseph called them his brethren. And that message was, though, again, even though they had rejected him, he didn't reject them as his brothers. Even though Joseph's brothers hated him, Joseph was not ashamed to be their brother, to be called their brother. In, other, in, in all of this, Joseph, he's a type of the Lord Jesus. When it says in, in Hebrews eleven sixteen, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Okay? When the brothers rejected Joseph, Joseph did not reject them. And again, as we saw in Romans 1, but when Joseph said, I seek my brethren, we see a picture again that he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said in Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and Matthew 15.24, Matthew 15.24, but he answered and said, I am not sent 
but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See, when we see Joseph say, I seek my brethren, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, again, going back to that John 1.11, he came unto his own. We were talking this morning in the breaking of bread in Zechariah, Tim brought up, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Now, we see how Joseph was special when he said to this certain man, tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. See, when he said these words, tell me, I pray thee, it revealed just how the heart of Joseph was involved with his brothers. When Joseph said, tell me, I pray thee, we can see that Joseph was not just trying to find out where, his, where they were because it was his job, but his heart was engaged in finding his brothers. When Joseph said, tell me, I pray thee, that's very challenging for us. You know, I've noticed that there are two types of physicians. You know, more and more Scantibodies is doing imaging on children with cancer. And, and that means we're working with pediatric oncologists. And so the other day, uh, Scantibodies had a conference at Rady's Children's Hospital here with several pediatricians from San Diego and from Tijuana. And, and it was interesting because as the pediatricians were, were making their presentations, you know, with the PowerPoint, and showing pictures of the little patients and talking about them, I was reminded again, you know, there's something about pediatricians that's very special, very unusual. They get very hard involved with their patients. They do. You know, pediatricians do not guard their heart from loving their patients individually because, you know why? Because children recover. (laughs) You know, they get better. And so the heart of the pediatrician, he doesn't have to be worried about becoming destroyed. And so he's not protecting his heart. Pediatricians let their hearts love kids individually because kids recover. But we also work very closely with nephrologists and adult oncologists, oncologists and adult oncologists, and nephrologists, normal oncologists, and, and, and nephrologists and oncologists have patients that do not recover. As a matter of fact, nephrologists have patients that are called ESRD patients, ESRD, which stands for end-stage renal disease. Now, now to have a disease called end-stage, that's pretty rough, all right? <laughs> that, that, I mean, end-stage means no recovery. And so nephrologists, nephrologists treat dialysis patients, and, and that means that if a nephrologist were walking to a dialysis clinic and see 100 chairs of his patients occupied, he knows that in 12 months, 25 of those chairs will be empty because that's the mortality. About a quarter of, uh, about a quarter of nephrologist patients, dialysis patients die per year, more or less. And oncologists treat cancer patients, and typically cancer patients don't survive. So in order to protect their hearts from being destroyed, many, not all, but many nephrologists and oncologists do not allow their hearts to love their patients individually. Many nephrologists and oncologists do not let their hearts love their patients individually because their hearts do, because their patients do not recover. The typical heart of, of, of the pediatrician is not guarded, not protected, so he allows his heart to love his patients, his little patients, young patients, individually, because they live. And the typical heart, typical, of the nephrologist and oncologist is guarded and protected, so he doesn't allow his heart to love his patients individually because they die. Now, there's a difference between just doing the work of the evangelism and guarding and protecting your heart from loving the lost 
and adopting the heart of the evangelist by allowing our hearts to love the lost individually. And in verse 16, when Joseph said, tell me, I pray thee, we see Joseph allowing his heart to love his brothers individually. That's the heart of the evangelist. And we see this heart of the evangelist in Paul. Paul didn't just witness to the Jewish people. Paul loved the Jewish people. Paul just shouldn't say, well, they're terrible. You know, so they, they dog my tracks. They oppose everything I do. They try to undo everything I do. They try many times to kill me. So, ah, oh, go ahead and cast them off. That's fine with me. No, that wasn't Paul. Paul says in Romans 9, 1, I say the truth in Christ, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He went on to say in Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Speaking of the church, in Philippians 3.18, he wrote, Philippians 3.18, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, he's crying, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And then in in Acts 13, 26, when addressing the Jewish people, he said, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, whosoever among you feareth God to you is the word of the salvation sent. And when we see this, tell me, I pray thee, in verse 16, the heart of the evangelist, we see it in Moses. Moses didn't just do his job for Israel. Moses loved Israel. Moses didn't just say, well, you know, they really have given me a hard time. I mean, you know, God, they actually tried to stone me several times. Okay, go ahead, wipe them out, start all over with me. That's fine with me. No. In Exodus 32.9, Exodus 32.9, we read, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, this is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that I, my, my, my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume it, and I'll make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why? Doth thy wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? And wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, said to them, I'll multiply them, and so forth. And then... In Exodus 32, 32, Exodus 32, 32, Moses said, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. Boy, that's the same like uh, Paul said. That's the heart of the evangelist. He loves the lost. And we see this also, tell me, I pray thee, heart of the evangelist, in Samuel regarding Saul. Samuel just didn't do his job for Saul. Samuel loved Saul. And Samuel didn't just say, well, yeah, you know, he really was a bad egg. I mean, he turned out to be proud. He was arrogant. He didn't do what we told him to do. Ah, so I agree. Go ahead, replace him. He didn't do that. It says in 1 Samuel 15, 11, when God said to him, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and I have not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out unto the Lord all night. He couldn't even go to sleep. First Samuel 15, 35, and Samuel came no more to Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul 
And the Lord repented that he had made Saul over Israel. And in 1 Samuel 16.1, 1 Samuel 16.1, the Lord said unto Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I rejected him from reigning? We see this, tell me, I pray the heart of the evangelist supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord just didn't re- deliver the message to Israel when he talked. How do you think it sounded in Matthew 23.37? Matthew 23.37, I think it sounded when he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You think it was like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah, you know, you, thou, you, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thee and thy children unto thee as a hen gathereth her children you know, under her wings? You would not. Now, I'll tell you how it was. In Luke 19.41, Luke 19.41, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, and now they are hid from thine eyes. We see this, tell me, I pray, the heart of the evangelist, in verse 16, in the heart of David, King David. David was brokenhearted for the lost, And he wrote in Psalm 119, 136, Psalm 119, 136, rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. We see this in the heart of of Jeremiah, this tell me I pray thee. Jeremiah, and of course, Lamentations. Lamentations, what can you say? I mean, what has a name like Lamentations, you know? But he writes the book Lamentations, Lamentations 348. Lamentations 3.48. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. We see this, tell me, I pray thee, in the heart of, of the evangelist, of everyone who mourns for the lost condition of the Jewish people. Those who will rejoice at Israel's true restoration are those who have been hard involved, and that's what it says in Isaiah 66.10. Isaiah 66.10. Rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all ye that mourn for her. See? All ye that love her are the all the ye that mourn for her. Who loves Israel? Those who mourn for Israel. How about if we all signed up this morning for a ministry of mourning and crying? <laughs> okay. We see this especially also, this tell me I pray the heart of the evangelist in Esther. Esther. Esther, had, Esther was in pretty good shape herself. She was the queen. She was protected. She was loved. Everything was fine with her, but it was not fine with her because she said in Esther 8.6, Esther 8.6, how can I endure? She says, how can I endure to see the evil that shall come on my people? How can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So when we look at a verse like 16, where it says, tell me, I pray thee, that's the heart of the evangelist. It's a challenge for us. Don't guard and protect our hearts from loving the lost individually. You know, don't don't take a hard position like, well, it's written somewhere, they're either going to be saved or lost, so why get involved? No, God says, let your heart be broken for them. Let your heart love them individually. And then our prayers are gonna be more effective and then our witness is going to be more effective. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Joseph, the life of Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for recording all these things in your book about Joseph so that we can learn who is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E. Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back. So join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.